This is not psychotherapy. Dr. Wills does not have a provider-patient relationship with this guest. These are just two people talking about emotions. Welcome to Give a F*** Actually with your host, Dr. Alex Wills. Dr. Alex Wills with uh, Give a Fuck Podcast. I'm here with Dr. Ishan Xu. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to introduce her. She is a licensed clinical psychologist and a board-certified sleep specialist trained in the Stanford Sleep Center. And she's also the founder of Mind Body Garden Psychology. Did I get that right? Yes. Cool. I forgot to mention that she also does a podcast, which she was so gracious to have me on, called the Deep Into Sleep Podcast, which talks all about sleep, psychology, how to get better sleep, and all that jazz. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dr. Wills. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I'm just happy to share whatever you are interested in about emotions, sleep, and health overall. So for myself, I've been, you know, working as a psychologist for many years, and I see a lot of uh, different challenges in people's life. And uh, I think over the years, it applied to my own life and definitely helped myself too. So happy to share. Yeah, I, I'm so thrilled to be in the field of psychology, psychiatry, and mental health, because it's like the gift that keeps on giving. Every day, I seem to learn something that helps me, my friends, my family, definitely my patients. So it's like the more you give, the more you get, you know? Yeah, totally agree. I think I often learn with my clients together and always get inspired by them and think deeper of with the knowledge and theory we all have, right? Combined with our life experience and what we learn from our clients. I think it's a very nice mutual growth process. And I'm just launching this podcast when did you start the Deep Into Sleep podcast and how's it going so far? I launched my uh, Deep Into Sleep podcast in late 2018. And it's such a pleasant journey, I would say. Uh, it grows slowly and I got more and more listeners. So the most interesting part of that is I got to connect and interview a lot of um, professionals in the field. I start with some sleep doctors all over the world, and then uh, expand to psychologists, therapists, and other doctors in other fields. So it's very interesting. And did you say you have like over 160 episodes now or something? Yeah, we are on 155 episodes recently. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so great. When I was doing my training in psychiatry, we did a cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, and that was fascinating to learn, you know, some really helpful things that I, I thought it was BS at first. And then when I applied it for myself, it actually worked. I was very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, CBTI is something I use often right now when I treat insomnia patients. It definitely works. I also apply that to Chinese population. It works very well, actually. Yeah. Great. I'm just curious about your background a little bit, if you wanted to kind of share your origin story with us about uh, where you came from and how you became interested in psychology in the first place and sleep and everything. And 
Just anything you wanted to let us know? It's a long story now, look back. I actually grew up in mainland China. Um, and uh, so I came to America for graduate school. So I was in China, finished undergraduate for all those years, only speak Chinese. And I came to America and that was the first time in my life be on airplane and that was going internationally. So I still remember I was so worried I got lost in Korea when I transferred. That's the first time I left my country uh, until now. So um, I came to America because I know I want to study psychology further. My undergraduate was in psychology as well. Um, and in China, the psychology and mental health overall was underdeveloped. Well, I was choosing a major. Nobody knows what psychology is. And, but I noticed there are a lot of mental struggles among students. Well, I was in high school because the pressure there uh, was very high. It was very competitive. There was only one teacher was reading some books and shared this concept of mental health to us. And that was the first time in high school I ever uh, knew this concept of psychology and mental health. And then I got so interested in it. I think, oh, this is something I want to learn more. So I went to college, but then I realized, oh, I don't really learn enough. I need to go to a different place to learn about this more. That's how, uh, what put me here in America. And then I just uh, learned deeper and deeper in the field of psychology and eventually going to the uh, mental health field to do the intervention. At the beginning, I did research and then more like intervention. And when I studied psychology, I realized, you know, the stigma around the minorities, especially Asian Americans, and uh, how family culture can impact us, right? How we talk to other people, the way we communicate impact our uh, feelings and how we think our thoughts impact our feelings. So it's a lot of thoughts now are connecting with each other more and more and make more sense to me. And I uh, share this knowledge to my clients and uh, I can witness their growth and how they get better and even recover and or change their whole family relationship, family dynamic. So I think that's a very rewarding and meaningful journey for me. That's what keeps me in this field uh, still and work, uh, still working in this field with a lot of passion. That's wonderful. It's quite a long adventure for you and stuff. And it sounds like you're enjoying the ride. You mentioned that you still work with the Chinese population. And I'm curious, in Hawaii, we studied the cultural psychiatry, which is sort of its own field. But any highlights in particular of differences you notice and common things that people struggle with, maybe compared mm -hmm. to the typical Western patient? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think there's a lot of unique um, struggles among Chinese or Chinese immigrants or Chinese Americans, right? Slightly different. Um, but mostly I think family plays a big role into this, family and the culture. So a lot of, uh, especially young Asians, they are struggling with um, be the perfect child in the family and in the society, they try to be the perfect minority. So there are a lot of perfectionism. There's a lot of anxiety in the process, how to please parents, meet the parents' expectation, but then get lost in their own sense of meaning what they want to do. 
So there are a lot of suppression of emotions, suppression of personal needs in order to please others, uh, either within the family or outside of the family. So that's the biggest thing I see. Uh, not only among young people or elders, sometimes they grow up like that, right? And it become a habit. So they run their own family like that too and impact their own children. Another uh, very common thing I see among Asians because it's very competitive and uh, um, a lot of parents, uh, Asian families, the parents have high expectations for their children and the way they use to motivate each other is criticism. So they use very harsh words, harsh way of expression in order to motivate other family members to try hard. So basically, a lot of Asians never think they are good enough. They, they don't know what is uh, appreciation and self-credit. They just keep on pursuing next goal, next goal, next goal, and never feel like they are good enough. And that caused a lot of um, emotional disturbance, I think. Um, yeah. And also, you know, racial discrimination. Some people, especially I think secondary generation immigrants are more sensitive to that. So that still exists. And also the language barrier, right? Especially for the elders. That's why I, when I treat Chinese population, I speak Chinese because uh, people feel that's more comfortable if they can use their native language to communicate. Do you speak Mandarin? Yes, I speak Mandarin. The only sentence I learned in uh, Mandarin was, and I don't even know if you're going to understand, but it's, uh, Wo bu hui han yu. Oh, uh, yes, I understand. Actually, it's pretty good. <laughs> I do. I yeah. figured it was the most useful thing to let people that know that I don't speak Chinese in Chinese. So that's what I learned. <laughs> but it's also kind of funny. You speak that in Chinese, but you, you are trying to express it. I actually don't know this language. People will get confused, mm. but you're... Your Chinese is fine. I can understand this sentence. <laughs> ah, xiexie. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, it's also good to make people laugh. It's kind of a good first impression. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's interesting in the West, the typical end result or goal of development psychologically is autonomy. At least that's what's valued. Mm -hmm. But it's not the same in the East. The The end goal is not really necessarily autonomy. It's more of how you fit into your family system. It's more of a collectivist. And I don't know, you know, which one is better, which one is worse, but they're very different. And it's not necessarily in our best interest to say that, no, autonomy is the best way. This is the best end result to go to. I'm curious if you had any thoughts on that question. Mm. I think I, in my clinical work, I see both extreme, right? Um, so in the ancient Chinese philosophy, we actually prefer a balance of different things, just like the balance of the qi, of the energy, the balance of your emotions. So I often tell my clients, try to find what balance is more comfortable for you. Um, so I don't think either way is bad or good, but yes, overall, at least Asian culture, um, we do value the harmony among people, among, you know, family members, friends. So, um, it's not like independently what I want, what I need, who I am. Um, that is important, but not as important as, oh, I have to keep this harmony around me. So that's somewhat like 
people pleasing. And、mm. so I feel like they both have their own value, and they both could really benefit us and benefit our emotions under different situations. It's just to each individual person, what is a nice balance for you?、Right? Because for some people, maybe they want more autonomy, and for other people, they may want more harmony. Then.、Mm. Um, I think there's no right or、uh, wrong answer. There are also no fixed standard. I think as a therapist, sometimes we are trying to do is okay where you are, what you are comfortable, and that's part of their needs too. And let's work towards there to see whether we can help you gain that balance. And for me personally, after living in America for so many years, I've been in America for possibly more than 15 years already.、Uh, so. I definitely notice my own value shift. I'm more balanced towards a different direction. Definitely different than when I was in China,、um, but I think it's a healthy balance that I'm comfortable with, and my family also happy about. So I think it's definitely doable. I I feel like our life is、uh, that it's how to say it's not fixed. It's like water. It's flowing. And、mm. so we can always adjust, adapt, and、uh, change. By the way, I just、uh, wrote an article that's on Psychology Today about Wu Wei, the、oh, Chinese, Wei. yeah,、uh-huh. and and how、um, using that sort of philosophy or idea as a way, as an alternative for our typical New Year's resolutions, because usually we make these New Year's resolutions. And we don't keep up with them for、mm-hmm. very long, and we fail.、Mm-hmm. So Wu Wei, I took it to mean if you could sort of plug into the flow of nature, the flow of society, the harmony, the things that are already going, and make yourself part of that, then it's an easier way to get to where you want to go, rather than try to just tough it out and do it by yourself by trying harder. Yeah, that's interesting.、Um, I mean, San Francisco Bay Area, right? We have a lot of high achievers here. Recently, I've been telling different clients about how to let it go, how to you know let it be,、uh, because when we push so hard,、uh, then that's that's a signal that we need the balance towards this Wu Wei concept.、Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people worry if I really be. Like Wu Wei or go with the flow. That means I am not trying. I just gonna you know give up, not doing anything. I cannot accept that part of myself.、Um, but a lot of time, it, it does not necessarily go that way. <laughs> I convince them that trust me, you will not allow yourself to do nothing. It's it's not that.、Mm-hmm. What you need is you are so tensed up. You need loose a little bit. Uh huh. Yeah. That's so great. Going back to what you mentioned a, a little bit ago, in the culture, using a lot of criticizing in the family to try to encourage people to do things, it seems like there's a lot of the use of、uh, shame or this emotion of making somebody feel shamed or guilty in order to control, manipulate, or I guess encourage what you want their behavior to be like. What have you noticed about the use of like emotions in that sort of a situation? It's very common in、uh, Asian family, at least many Chinese families I work with.、Um, 
So normally it's the parents, for example, will um, add and certain family values to the children that, you know, uh, I give you all these resources, you need to respect me and do what I need. If not, right, you are not a good child. Or, mm. you know, it just uh, criticize their personality and uh, it can hit to some people to the core. So that bring a lot of shame that, oh, I have to do this, this, this. I have to be, you know, meet this expectation or else I should feel shameful of myself. I'm not a good person, mm. not a good child. I'm not a good, you know, partner or family member. So I think that's, in a way, that could be a way to manipulate people. But I think in the culture, um, it's, it's become a norm. And people just use it very naturally without realizing it could also be harmful. So we need, mm -hmm. still need some boundaries, still need to uh, like apply the cultural values in a cautious way. But it just, in a lot of traditional family culture, there's no boundary and people don't really think much about it. It just, they just kind of throw this out all these years since the child was young. And then they carry this until they are older, right? Another thing mm. is um, a lot of sensitive topics like their sexual development, what they want, what kind of person they want to date, um, and uh, our personal needs. Some of, some of the times you will see family members shame people on this. Basically, if their behaviors or interests are different than what the family are used to or know of, then they use harsh words to bring shame on these people. And that's, I think, how stigma of mental health come up in this culture so much. Yeah. And, you know, shame is so ubiquitous. We see it happening in many different cultures, uh, many religions and cults and family systems. I'm finding that, you know, the the emotion of shame itself is a natural, pure emotion that we can experience. However, it can become toxic when you, you use the term shameful of myself, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning that we add a story onto it. So mm -hmm. we have this pure, natural, although it's a painful fireball of an emotion, there's nothing really intrinsically bad about the emotion of shame. It's trying to get our attention. It's making us aware that we need to pay attention. However, if somebody tells us a story that, ah, this emotion of shame that you have means that there's something bad about you, you need to change your behavior. You need to mm -hmm. do what I want you to do because I'm your mom. You need to change your sexuality because the shame is telling you that your sexuality is not okay. Then we're using a good emotion as a powerful tool to try to exert control or influence over somebody else so I, I think i totally agree i think emotions can be a double-bladed sword right we try not to say good emotions or bad emotions it, it's it's really not good or bad it's just it's, is that helpful to you in this situation is that uh, not helpful to you in this situation um i think as uh, as psychologists or psychiatrists we always tell clients even so-called negative emotions, they exist for a reason and they possibly for a really good reason. But if it's too much, you don't manage it, then of course it can cause 
you some challenges. Yeah. So speaking of emotions, this podcast, Give a Fuck, is about exploring how sometimes these so-called negative emotions or the scary, painful, sad, disappointing emotions that we oftentimes would rather not have because they're uncomfortable. They're there for a reason. They're actually good for us. And if we can figure out how they're trying to help us, that might help us not to have a problem. I'm curious if you had any stories or any situations, any emotional things that you'd be willing to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's such an important topic you are discussing. And uh, I really hope more and more people listen to your podcast. This is a very meaningful topic. So uh, I think I ha I definitely can share a personal story, which is actually um, related to my profession, to the sleep field. One thing, I don't know how many people know this, you know, we all dream, right? We all have this dream period uh, as part of our normal sleep. And we actually all spend quite a lot of time in the dreaming period. But we may not know dreaming is so important in terms of its function to process emotions. Why we all have to dream is because our emotional memories are processed there in, in a format of dreaming. So a lot of people with trauma, you know, um, and all that really need a dream. Um, so I experienced them saying, let me think. Two years ago, I think. So when I, other than my podcast, I had a sex education YouTube channel in Chinese. So two years ago, I think I just started that channel. And uh, very early on, I shoot some videos, try to do some basic education. But you know the stigma in China, in Chinese culture. So certain knowledge is very new in the field. And it's possibly very different than what people normally understand. So I remember early on when I launched that channel, I got a lot of negative comments from uh, audience in China, mostly male audience in China against that content. They're like, this is wrong, right? Who are you, a woman talking about this? And uh, so that was a difficult time. I definitely experienced a lot of negative emotions. Uh, not really shame, but more like self-doubt and mm. angry, like a lot of anger, sadness, right? Mostly it's like, I was not sure. I even double check with my different doctor friends to make sure my content is accurate. It's not a content problem, but still, even you know, logically, it's not my mistake, but I still experience a lot of negative emotions. So around that time, uh, of course, as a psychologist, I know certain ways to soothe myself. Like I did a lot of self-soothing, self-management, like still difficult. I remember since I think about this so much, actually I start dreaming about this. But my dream is really amazing. I remember the dream really has a strong healing power because I'm someone sometimes can remember some of my dreams. I can remember some pieces of my dream that actually in my dream, my brain tried to reverse the experience or try to add more support and resources on top of all these matters. I think my dream kind of healed partly to, to help me process this negative emotion and make them more neutral. 
And uh, so after several nights of good sleep like that, I feel like when I look at these emotions, I totally can understand why they are there. And I'm not afraid of them anymore. I can accept them and slowly think about more other other good support and things. And eventually that turns a negative emotion to something positive. And later when I read the research, I realized, oh, actually I'm not the only one because there are actually new research showing for people who dream more, they tend to be more resilient emotionally. Mm. So I was like, wow, so dreaming can really, you know, uh, help us sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. I'm curious, what were some of the examples, if you can remember, of Mm -hmm. some of the mean things that were said? Like, did anything Mm -hmm. stand out? Or Mm -hmm. sometimes one of the most random things can be the most hurtful for whatever reason but mm-hmm. i'm curious what what really um struck you as the most like hurtful per- personally i think it's uh, a lot of attack to my identity professional mm. identity and uh uh basically just to criticize uh so one thing stand out is people cre- uh question my credential right so uh, you are like a fake doctor, basically. You say you're a doctor, we don't know whether you're a doctor. And uh, also there are certain people, they just, uh, like very simple, they just throw out, say you're saying bullshit, right? There are also people um, criticize me, say you are hurting people. You, by mm. sharing this kind of, they call the wrong knowledge, they said I'm hurting uh, more people who are watching this because they are learning something wrong. Yeah, so I think those really target who I think I am. As a professional, mm. I, I do take a lot of honor what I do, right? I, I worked hard to get my credential. Also, I work day to day to help people, not harm people. And uh, I also quote research. I try to make what I talk about legit. So I think a lot of those attacks really hit me very hard. Yeah, I'm just imagining being in your shoes and how how could that not be very hurtful? Mm-hmm. You mentioned feeling sad, having this emotion of doubt, mm-hmm. anger. I'm curious, you know, we think of anger as this shield emotion that's easy to get in touch with because mm-hmm. it's empowering. But behind that shield, were there any other vulnerable, painful emotions in addition to those that you remember experiencing? Yeah, I think uh, there are definitely some uh, anxious feeling fear, I guess. Fear of, you know, I'm doing something wrong. Fear of what if they are right. Even fear of, am I making a right decision to open a channel? I remember for a little bit, I was questioning, should I do this, right? Mm -hmm. Does this really make sense? I'm really helping people or actually I'm hurting people? So uh, I think there's a lot of, vulnerability behind that anger. Anger, of course, I was like, who are you guys? You don't know me and you are talking about all this, blah, blah, blah. But deep down, definitely I have a lot of uh, anxiety, fear, hurt, uh, you know, so it's all those feelings when you are misunderstood by other people Mm. like that. Yeah. In the case that your the worst came true and that, you know, you found out that you were wrong or that mm-hmm. you shouldn't be opening a channel, you shouldn't be doing this, or 
or you're you're not really qualified. You know, we, we know that none of that's true, but in the case that your fears came true, what emotions do you imagine you would have had? If all this really became true, I think that's totally going to be very hopeless and uh, devastated. Um, gonna possibly gonna be very very severe uh, negative emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the reason I point that out is because usually we're not just afraid of the situation, the consequence mm-hmm. that might happen, mm-hmm. but we're afraid of the emotional state mm. that we might have if it if our worst fears come to to light. You know, because who wants to be feeling this devastation? or feeling this hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And it it's almost a fear that if we have those emotions, we're going to be stuck there forever. And we're just mm-hmm. going to feel like that for the rest of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be a very horrible feeling, right? That's going to be the here forever. And even more thoughts coming with it, all oh, this going to be ruined and my life going to be ruined. All those, I actually know some professionals in medical field give up their whole career after a certain events like that and to really, yeah, hit yeah. them to the bottom. And you were right to have the fear because, first of all, you did. It was there for a reason. It was making you aware of some real threats. Whether they were likely to happen or not, they, they, were, they are real threats that you needed to be aware of to make sure that you knew how to navigate going forward, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So... I wanted to go through these vulnerable emotions that you mentioned one by one quickly. Mm-hmm. And in your case, I'm curious, as you reflect now, what good were these emotions? How were these emotions actually there to try to help you? And so perhaps mm-hmm. we could start with the emotion of sadness. When you were feeling sad or disappointed, mm-hmm. what was that doing for you? What was that making you aware of? And how did that help you in your journey? I never really think about that in such a detail. I normally put them together. I know they help me overall. Um, first, for the sad, I think it's just uh, normally when that happened, I'm be more cautious of self-care. So I feel like the sadness is a signal that, oh, my mood is down. Then what can I do to maybe it's time to take care of myself more to think about, you know, um, what other coping strategies I can use. My brain quickly goes there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah that's, that's good. You know, it's, it's helpful sometimes to think in opposites when I'm sad, I'm not happy. What, what am I desiring that I don't have? Maybe like you said, self-care, maybe connection with others, maybe the support that's not there. And so that that's really, so it was there for a purpose. And mm-hmm. I like how you said it was a signal. It was like, mm-hmm. it's a signal that things are not right. And so maybe I can take a step back and see if I can get some more self-care or other support. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. Uh, the next one, uh, doubt or self-doubt. Mm-hmm. What good is doubt? Why do we have this icky emotion of doubt? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the doubt actually helped me, you know, double check things, right? Because I think it's very understandable when other people question you. 
And of course, we 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 want to know hmm, is this legit or not, and uh, it's easily to get us to get to us. So, I think when I had a doubt, I really reach out to different friends, colleagues, and reach out basically to support and mm-hmm. professional support and social support. I got a lot of validation, a, a lot of. Um, you know, support, no matter it's emotional or, you know, evidence-based, this kind of factual support telling me, oh, this content is fine. No, no problem. So I think those are very valuable to me, but those are definitely triggered by the doubt. Without the doubt, I, I may not really reach out to so many people. If I don't reach out to so many people, I may not get the support I need. Isn't that, that's so wonderful to think about this, this negative emotion of doubt was actually responsible for creating this motivation in you to to double check and to get more support. And it also, I imagine, helped to develop resilience for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I believe it's part of the process for sure. Mm-hmm. We kind of touched on uh, fear a little bit, but any other insights into how the the fear or anxiety that you were experiencing was actually serving you and actually helped you to remain safe or something? Yeah, overall, I think they're just, uh, I see them as warning signs. I possibly because I'm a psychologist, I'm in this field long enough, I help my clients to be more aware. So I think I have a higher level of self-awareness of my emotions. So when I feel anxious, when I feel fear, I definitely do a lot of self-talk. Right, try to help myself after I got all the support, evidence, validation, and I try to, you know, uh, adjust my own self-talk to to help myself. So I think all this just uh, fear, anxiety, just to make me more active, more motivated. Because naturally, the, all these emotions, including the sadness, they make me want to lay there, do nothing, right? Just mm. ruminate. But the other part. It's motivate me to really actively do something about it. And then finally, what about that emotion of hurt or pain, mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. aspect of those emotions that can be quite painful? Mm-hmm. What, what good is that? What, because we, we all want to avoid pain. Who wants to be experiencing pain? It's the opposite of pleasure. It's, it's pretty mm-hmm. awful. And most of us, well, it's very tempting to want to do anything we can to get away from it and avoid it. Yeah, nobody wants to feel hurt, for sure. And that's very unpleasant feelings. For me, I think uh, I did a lot. When that happened, that helped me understand, okay, I don't like it, but I also realize I cannot get rid of it. So I think when it's there lingering, it helped me practice how to uh, coexist with it, basically how I can still do my day-to-day thing when I feel this hurt. Mm. Uh And uh, when I come down more, when things get better, I try to think, okay, can I do some self-compassion to myself? Or like it's understanding, like uh, I totally understand why I feel hurt. I have every reason to feel hurt when, you know, I see those messages. Uh, And uh, then if, if this is not my fault, what can I do to help myself to accept this hurt, but not let it control my life? So 
I guess I'm more problem solving in a way and more actively coping and possibly cope with other things faster. But acceptance is a big piece, especially for feelings like hurt. Back then when it was happening, do you feel like you were as good as you are now about automatically accepting like, oh, I'm I'm having these negative emotions or did you, was it a bit of a struggle to even admit to yourself that you were hurt or mm-hmm. that you were sad? Because it's, it, we often don't want to admit or, and we kind of try to deny that we have these vulnerable emotions because they might make us feel weak. They're mm-hmm. obviously painful and unpleasant. So there's a lot of motivation to avoid them. Is this something that you've had to cultivate over the years or are, are you more of a natural with it? <laughs> I believe I've Nobody's going to be natural about <laughs> this. I believe I, over the years, I definitely got better and better uh, to be able to cope it faster. Um, but mm. I have to admit, whenever this kind of thing happened, it could paralyze us possibly for a while, shock us for a while. And denial, of course, uh, going to be there. And uh, and this all this happened like just one morning I opened my eyes. I was like, huh? Overnight, something happened. And so it's totally a shock. And definitely, I remember put me down for quite several days. Uh, so it, it was a struggle. It, even I, with all this knowledge, with all this, you know, theories I know, um, it, it took me a while to really get to it because the emotions have to fly around, right, crazily mm-hmm. for a while. And then I start uh, gather some some attention and effort and energy to be able to look at it. Okay, now let me look at this and uh, to to think about what to do. I don't know about you, but I find it helpful to think of overwhelm as its own emotion. Mm, mm. Or I guess sometimes emotions can be overwhelming. Mm. And I used to always feel like, being overwhelmed is a very bad thing and you need to fight to make sure that that doesn't happen. Mm. However, thinking about it as an emotional state or a temporary emotion and making it not a bad emotion or a negative emotion can actually be quite helpful because overwhelm communicates to us that the situation is too much. I need, I need more time to process And so I'm curious about your, I'm imagining you learned all about this overnight and it just kind of blew up suddenly. And so I'm imagining that you were having quite a bit of overwhelming emotions. Yeah, I think that's a good reminder. It somewhat, somehow just slipped my mind. I possibly did not pay attention to overwhelming feeling first, but that is what come to my mind. I think definitely got overwhelmed at least for that day because it's just so much it's basically a negative information got exploded overnight. So um, I think back, I definitely had a short period of avoidance, avoid all these platforms, uh, avoid all this like uh, video creation process, definitely for a little bit. And it, I think it's because all these emotions are overwhelming and all this uh, stuff are overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Right. And is that kind of your go-to is to avoid for a little bit? That's that's a pretty common way that we can sort of, I guess, temporarily get a break from these unpleasant emotions to 
just try to avoid anything that could bring them up? The, yes, I think depends on how intense. If they're very intense, I tend to, you know, just uh, avoid for a little bit. Also as um, self-protection, right? I need to cut down the income of the negative uh, like messages and then maybe do something to chill myself first. And uh, it happened during a weekday. So I, I still have to attend to my day-to-day -day work and life. Mm. So I don't really have time to think about that too much. So I put it aside a little bit. But, you know, the problem is at night when you try to sleep, when you have time to rest and you're going to have to face this. Right. <laughs> you seem like you've come a long way and you've grown a lot. I'm curious, how did that situation and these emotions help you grow professionally, personally, um, and interpersonally? Mm. If you mean, do you mean this event or overall? Uh, this event, but you know, anything that kind of comes to mind overall as well. Mm. So take this event as an example. I think after that, I grew a lot. And this event gave me a really good lesson to help me connect what I'm I learned professionally to personal life, I realized, oh, this is resilience, right? I realized I can still do what I want and I don't have to care so much about other people's words. Since then, my channel just grow very well. Now I have a lot of followers and there are, and also a lot of good messages, very encouraging messages, sharing how much they learn and how, how many things they never know before. So... Um, uh, look back, it helped me realize, you know, difficult times, difficult emotions, if you are able to see the positive part of that and you don't see that just as a threat um, or, or invalidation, you see it kind of like you can see good things from it and learn, grow from it, then good things may come. You will not regret. Mm -hmm. So look back, I really actually appreciate that, that part of my journey. And I actually appreciate all those negative emotions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I imagine today, if someone were to write negative things and negative words to you, it wouldn't have the same emotional intensity. Yeah, I still get negative messages here and there. Not that many anymore. Um, but yes, right now I can be more chill. It does not really impact me that much. I'm very chill. I'm confident. So if I don't like the message, I just delete it. Uh-huh. If I, I think the message is reasonable in its own way, I reply or just leave it there. So I think I can handle it much more peacefully right now. In other words, the connection that I'm kind of seeing is that by originally giving a fuck about it or mm -hmm. getting in touch with these negative, painful emotions and validating them and accepting them, allowing them to kind of process. Now, when those same things happen, you still have those emotions come up, but they're, they're smaller fucks and, and they're, not, uh, they're not taking over. You don't have to try to avoid them you don't have to shut down or try to fix them. You just allow them to sort of come and go and they no longer have control like they did to shut you down for a couple of days or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't think they have that those kind of power to me anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anything else that you wanted to add or, or to mention that came up for you while we were sort of going through this? I think this was such a really, really cool example to work through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I just think, you know, um, the more we understand emotions, the the less we are afraid of it, right? Once we are not afraid of it, then we are the one has power, has control. And I think that's in psychology, a lot of time what we are trying to do is to empower ourselves from inside to out. So I feel like inside of ourselves, always the core, what we can work internally. And uh, yeah, like you said, understand emotions, process our emotions can help us build those kind of in, in, uh, internal strengths and uh, eventually the resilience. That's very well said. I, I use the term emotophobia about the irrational fear of emotions. Mm -hmm. And when we realize that we don't have to be afraid, even the example that stands out to me is that you had the fear that something really bad would happen. And then you would end up having these emotions of hopelessness and feeling devastated. And yet even those emotions were there to help you to pay attention and so if we don't, if, if we realize that we don't have to be afraid of our own emotions, that they're always trying to give us wisdom, then they no longer have to be a problem. Yeah, yeah. Anything going on, you are doing your podcast these days, you are doing the Mind Body Garden Psychology, any uh, events, announcements, things that you're working on or things coming up with your podcast? Oh, uh, so we are working on, so I have worked on an insomnia treatment course online. Yeah, so it's on our website. So I'm trying to be able to reach out to more patients with insomnia to help them sleep better. That's one thing we've been trying, and we may have other courses later. And this year, we are actually launching a new English um, YouTube channel. So try to, you know, use... Uh, this video type of format to share knowledge about sleep, sexual health, and mental health in general. It's not only me doing that. It's like many of our therapists and uh, and I, we do it together to um, to share all this information. So I'm very excited about that. And it's the Deep Into Sleep podcast. And where can people find out other information and mm -hmm. if they wanted to follow you or learn about what you're doing? Yeah. So people can just come to our website at mindbodygarden.com. And my podcast is Deep Into Sleep. The new YouTube channel is Ask Dr. Ifan. And although almost all those links are on our website, including our courses, all the free resources we are providing, people can find them all there. Dr. Ishan Shu, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really cool. Um, and I hope to talk with you again soon. Thank you, Dr. Wales, for the invitation. Hey guys, thanks for watching. This is Dr. Alex Wills with Give a F Actually. Make sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for watching. Make sure to check out the merch store. RadicalEmotionalAcceptance.com Bye. Bye.